1: Hey everyone, it's Charlotte Jonesy here, the women's coach. Welcome to the Unfiltered Life podcast. On this show, I'll be sharing the highs and lows of life with helpful hints, tips, and experiences. I want to inspire you to step outside of your comfort zone, to turn your pain into purpose, and create your own version of success. As a life coach, mindset mentor, and mum, I am passionate about helping women through life challenges. My guests and I will get uncomfortable. that you can feel comfortable, bringing you a real honest and unfiltered view.
0: I don't believe that dieting is the path to sustainable weight loss. If there's restriction involved, I don't believe that it can be a real sustainable lifestyle. And I just wanna say, I'm not anti-weight loss. Society's telling them that they need to look a certain way. I want everything to be about the way that you feel, emotionally and physically.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today I've got Lizzie and she is a coach who helps yo-yo dieters and emotional eaters to heal their relationship with food and their bodies. She's also a mum of two and owns her own coaching business so I want to discuss all of this on the episode and more. Welcome to the podcast Lizzie.
0: Hi it's so nice to be here. I'm
1: really excited. Yeah, I come across you on Instagram, didn't I? And we just started chatting and I just find your work really interesting. And I guess because personally I've come from a place where you know I had eating disorders I still have to battle with that relationship with food Mm -hmm. Um, I'm definitely in a different place than I was in my 20s so one from a personal perspective but also from a professional perspective because also being a coach I look at other coaches and I love what they're doing and I love your work and what you're doing on Instagram and what you do with your clients so I wanted to you to come on here to Mm -hmm. share exactly exactly kind of your story where like how did you become a coach and yeah. yeah tell us like you know how do you help women heal their relationship with food and their body
0: okay so i kind of really really resonate with your story as well because i also had eating disorders so literally going back to you know the age of 11 i developed anorexia and then kind of fluctuated between anorexia and bulimia right up until i was probably 23 when I met my husband um, and so even then when I had really really healed that aspect of my relationship with food and had got on top of those real ingrained eating disorder behaviours and mentality I then kind of really got in heavily into CrossFit and became very strict with my diet um, and was really militant over it, tracking, weighing, all of the, all of the above and and it wasn't positive, and there was a lot of emotional eating, a lot of restriction, um, a lot of kind of binging, and just being feeling completely and utterly obsessed with food. It was just like every single thought that I had all day, every day, was just about food. Can I eat this? Can I have that? Um, you know, oh, I had a cake last week. I shouldn't have one this week. And how is that going to impact my body? And it was just, it was just all consuming, and I just felt. Really held back by it, and that I hadn't fully healed that aspect of my life. Even though those really damaging behaviours had kind of, had worked through those, Um, my relationship with food still wasn't good, and I was still dieting and binging and and doing all of those negative behaviours, and had a really, really rubbish relationship with my body, and just felt awful about it all the time. And it was a massive massive impact on me and my self-worth and my confidence and would lead to colossal colossal meltdowns like if I couldn't find something to wear and I just it was just controlling my life and then when I got pregnant for the first time with Imogen I developed hyperemesis gravadium so I had really severe morning sickness like it was horrific and because I was still in this mentality I was still trying to drink green shakes and log my food. And I was being sick, it was completely undoable. And all my body wanted to eat was like salt and vinegar, square crisps, red Lester, and jelly sweets. And, and I had to give in, I re- literally had to give in because I couldn't keep anything down. And I think it was that moment that I realized that my body was actually really clever. And that it knew what it wanted, you know, if you look at those three things, salt from the crisps, sugar from the sweets, fat and protein from the cheese, it was just like, how can I get nutrients, the most easy way to fuel my body while I'm in this state? And I was suddenly understood that my body was a lot, a lot cleverer than me, because it's, you know, evolved for 6 million years. And throughout my pregnancy, I really did listen and, and stay in tune with my body. And then after pregnancy, I really kind of, there was an element of me that wanted to get back to the old body. But I I can remember one day I started tracking and I just went, no, this is, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to break the cycle for my daughter. Like I am not doing this anymore. I am not going to give into that pressure of looking a certain way and having a awful relationship with food. I don't want her to see that. And so it became a really passionate driving force for me to like fully heal that relationship with food. I felt like I'd learned so much through my pregnancy about the intuitive eating side, but I definitely felt like there was a lot of mindset work that needed to be done. And so I embarked on that myself and knew that I wanted to start a nutrition business, but actually it very quickly morphed from being about teaching women to eat in a healthy way, to teaching women to heal their relationships with food so that they could have a really positive relationship with it going forward and with their bodies so that they could actually enjoy and live their lives. So that is kind of my story and why why it came about and why I want to go forward and help women to live, essentially, because so many years of my life were completely absorbed with with my body and with food. And I just don't want that for anybody else. Um, so that's why I'm so passionate about what I do. I love
1: that. And I love, I mean, you've literally turned your pain into your purpose, haven't you? But I love yeah. your daughter has been your motivation because they look up to us. And I mean, we yeah. will get on to more of the business side in the later on in the episode, because I'm mm-hmm. really interested to talk about that yeah. being a mom and juggling that. And why it's so important because they look up to us as role models and especially being women. And I don't know what this was like with you and your relationship with your mum or your grandma. But I always saw my mum battling with her weight and she still does now. She's got a really old mentality of you know that whole yo-yo dieting it's oh I need to go back on a diet and my nan says it as well yeah and there's me kind of saying no you don't Mm -hmm. like it's about creating a lifestyle change and they're still not in this mentality so I think it's our generation and the younger generations that are changing the narrative now around kind of emotional eating binge eating like actually having a good relationship with food rather than this up and down like one minute you're you know you have a good run of healthy eating and then you just binge don't you and like it's just not long term is it no no it's not long term at all I just wanted to say, like, you mentioned something about you wanted your old body back and you were kind of battling with that. Yeah. When you say your old body, are you talking about like mm-hmm. pre-baby body? Yeah,
0: I really battled with that because, and and now I can really see it for, for what it is, but at the time there was a real deep part of me that felt really insecure in, in the body that I had post-baby, especially because up until I had Imogen, my first little girl, I'd been crossfitting like multiple times a week. I was a professional dancer. And so, you know, going into motherhood and my belly being soft and loose, my hips feeling wider, my ribs feeling bigger and, you know, everything that came with that felt, it made me realise that there was a lot of mindset work there that that needed to be done because I couldn't go back we can never go back to our pre-baby bodies because our bodies can never be pre-baby again. We've had a baby, um, and so I kind of really did a lot of mindset work around that, and was like, "Do you know what? I'm not going back. Like, I'm not. I'm not about bouncing back. As cliche as it sounds, I'm about bouncing forward into the new version of of Lizzie as mom and Lizzie and And that body that has housed a baby and got me through hyperemesis, you know, being hospitalized with it and all of that stuff, it actually deserves a lot of respect because it's done so much for me. And I'm going to honor it and I'm going to respect it by creating this lifestyle that really supports it um, in so many ways because health is not just food and exercise. It's about, you know, everything that encapsulates health. Um, And so I really wanted to just think, right, well, I'm not going to try and shove my body back into those old clothes or that old look because I'm actually going to work on my health and my mindset and and creating a lifestyle that's actually going to work for me in the long run.
1: Oh, literally, you speak my language and I, that's why I wanted you on this episode because I just, I'm literally nodding going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, we can't bounce back to our old lives, can we? And I think this yeah. is the mentality that we need to get into. I think for so long the narrative has been, you know, when you become a mum, it's about kind of regaining back your body that you had before or your old life as before. But rather than battling with it, it's actually just accepting it and going, you know what, this is new. It's actually you've evolved as a person and you're on this new journey, body, holistically, spiritually, whatever, it's literally Mm. all-encompassing, isn't it? Like as in the the whole 360 of you. And it's about accepting... where you're at right now and then moving forwards with that and I guess you know from a coaching perspective you know this as in like that's what coaching is all about it's about the here and now okay this is the past that might be holding you back Mm -hmm. and this is the way that we move forward so like just speaking about that really with Mm -hmm. how do women actually heal this relationship with their body kind of you know where they do have a lot of old Mm. beliefs around you know their bodies or what the media has told them or generations have told them so when you're with your clients or when you're speaking on social media
0: what is it that you say to them that they need to hear to help them heal? I think the main thing is for people to know that they don't need to live their life on this constant yo-yo that's not how we should be living our lives to have a life on this planet is a one in 400 trillion chance of having an existence on this planet and for me that is such an empowering thing to think like do I want to live on that yo-yo on that roller coaster feeling negatively about myself dimming myself down not feeling empowered do I want to feel like that or do I want to live the life that I feel and visualize and dream about in my mind so that's kind of like a big thing for me it's like what do you want from your life because you're allowed to have it absolutely it goes back generations you know my mom really struggled with dieting my mom never saw my her, her mom eat ever not in her whole life she didn't see her eat because she did it secretly and so of course my mom is going to develop a negative relationship with food and then of course I'm going to develop a negative relationship with food but that's not to blame my mom in any way, shape or form. And I don't feel like we should ever place blame into our parents or to the people who raised us because they were always just doing the best with the knowledge and the experience that they had. And we should absolutely, you know, extend the hands of self-compassion to them and absolutely forgive them for, you know, the, the journeys that we're on. And it's our job to do our own healing. And so I really have this like, holistic approach to healing your relationship with food. I think there's so many different aspects to why we have the relationships with food that we do. You know, very obviously there is the media, um, social media, uh, the diet industry, the fitness industry, the beauty industry that are all impressing these, these ideal beauty standards onto us from day dot. We also have societal expectations of what women should should be like and what but you know men and boys should be like And, and and that's impressed upon us that we should just be focused on the way that we look that's massive as well but then there's also a very deep you know and then obviously we've got our dieting parents and the diet culture then we've also got just the way that we are raised um things like this deeper healing that needs to be done is really essential in my work with clients I don't just believe that we need to just heal this, like, surface area relationship with food, I really want to get into the, you know, forget about the what, which is the food. I want to get into the why, the how, the when you're eating. What What is the deeper cause of your relationship with food, which is a direct reflection of your relationship with yourself? Like, how do you feel about yourself? Do you feel worthy? Do you feel intrinsically motivated to look after yourself and your health? Like, Where you bullied, did you live in a household that didn't cultivate self compassion and emotional resilience and emotional intelligence, and therefore are really, you know, unfamiliar with dealing with emotions and therefore look out to food or, you know, other things for emotional support? You know, if you're people pleasing, then you're disregarding your own needs, your own emotional needs and physical needs, because you're always putting other people first. And as a society, we are telling women that they should be bottom of the pile and should be put on everyone else first. And so we automatically go into this place of not looking after ourselves and not prioritizing ourselves because we feel guilty. And that directly correlates with a relationship with food and your body.
1: Yeah, wow. I mean, there's so much to unpack, isn't there? There's so much.
0: There's so much
1: to unpack. It's so individual as well. We know this obviously yeah. if you do one-on-one coaching, it's Definitely. it's really about unpacking all of those elements mm. and what you said is in the what, how, the why, the yeah just everything but obviously the media have a lot to answer for don't they I think a oh lot goodness, of it stems yeah. from that even from just a personal perspective my own eating disorder definitely stemmed mm-hmm. from that but then equally stemmed from my mum watching her constantly you know go up and down yeah. and interesting you say that it's kind of come down your generational line um yeah. you know my mum also had an eating disorder so it's quite yeah. interesting isn't mm-hmm. it that that we then look at their behaviors and take those on as well. But Mm -hmm. huge congratulations to you, to me, for breaking (laughs) the pattern and actually doing what we're doing online as well and actually helping women see that they can live a better life and that they can live a life not obsessed with the way that they look and how mm-hmm. much they weigh, really. But there's a lot to be undone and, like I said, unpack as well. Exactly, but exactly. just for anyone that doesn't understand the term yo-yo yeah. dieting, um, for anyone listening, can you just, like, briefly explain what that is just so people know?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's that, but that pattern that people get into when they are – like constantly starting again on Monday, feeling like they're being good, and then they're being bad, they're on the bandwagon, or they're off the bandwagon. And so it's just a constant up and down of, of this, of being on a diet, and then literally eating everything and binging because restriction, we know restriction causes binging directly, you know, the body has a primal need for food. And if you're not giving it food, then it's absolutely gonna, you know, push forward with those with those hunger hormones, and really, really make you want to eat, you know, just in terms of, you know, food is a is a is a physical bodily need, just like breathing, or going to the toilet, or having a drink of water, you know, if you walked across the desert for a whole day, and, um, somebody at the end was standing there and had a glass of water and a million pounds, and, you know, you were, they said, you know, you can have the million pounds if you don't have a glass of water, your body would take over and make you have that glass of water. Just like swimming underneath a swimming pool, if you were holding your breath, you can't come up and make a conscious decision about not taking a breath of water. And it's the same with eating. If you're restricting, your body's going to force you into binging eventually. And so yo-yo dieting is absolutely being like on that roller coaster, that up and down, having food rules, having anxiety around food and feeling anxious about changing plans and stressed about, you know, deviating from meal plans, feeling out of control when, you know, you're, you're presented with, with maybe some cakes and stuff for you and you just, oh God, I'm trying to be good. And, and then feeling that out of control feeling that is, that is yo-yo dieting. It's about, placing something onto us as a rule, like rules and restrictions, rather than feeling this intrinsic motivation from inside that will keep you on a real level playing field with with your eating on a daily basis.
1: Yeah that's a really good description and if someone was to think okay that sounds like me that's what I'm doing but I didn't realise I'm yo-yo dieting because it's just something ingrained in me and I've been doing it for years and years and years what would you say to them what's the
0: next step that they need to do? Okay within my work within my my program I do a lot of mindset work you know have a think about if you've been yo-yo dieting for years and years as you say they might not have even been aware but It's like walking down a really well-beaten, well-trodden pathway where there's no weeds, no overgrown bushes or anything. It's just easy to walk down. Whether it's taking you down the right way or not, it's easy to walk down. And essentially, when you decide that and acknowledge that, okay, yes, I've had success on my diets, but actually, if they had been successful, I would have done one and then never had to diet again. That's what success would be. The diet and industry wants you to believe that if you are doing the diet, you are being successful, and that if you're not doing it, you're just you just can't do it by yourself. Um, and we know that 95% of diets fail. So they're absolutely adamant that you be within their models. And so even though that pathway is taking you down the wrong way, you have to make a choice. To, to kind of swing it round and go down a path that's actually quite difficult to tread down. There's brambles, there's trees, there's all kinds growing in the way. And it's about slowly but surely and consistently catching those rules, catching those restrictions, understand when you feel triggered and slowly but surely doing that work. Within my program, we do inner child healing. I have EFT tapping therapy within the program now as well just to support that. And also, it's about knowledge and um, feeling empowered with, with, with a new set of knowledge, essentially, as well as doing a lot of reframing and a lot of mindset work to help bring you into a real conscious awareness of your behavior rather than just following this subconscious pathway that we've been in for you know, 20, 30 years of dieting. We have to bring in the consciousness. That's not saying that that behavior is just going to go out the window tomorrow. It's about recognizing, oh, that's it's so interesting that I do that I wonder why I feel this way and starting to unpack that
1: amazing and I guess it's well it's just learning isn't it to when you're about to self-sabotage and actually the more and more you have awareness around it the more you can spot it or you can spot Mm -hmm. those triggers can't you and then you can actually shift it or change it or work on your mindset to I guess distract you from Mm -hmm. you know going down that really negative route or way yeah that that binging which can make you feel worse off yeah absolutely you mentioned kind of like anti diet industry, and just wondering from your perspective, are you anti diet?
0: I don't believe that dieting is the path to sustainable weight loss, like full stop. If there's restriction involved, I don't believe that it can be a real sustainable lifestyle. And I just want to say I'm not anti weight loss, but I am. I want to, people to feel empowered within that decision to know that they're making it from an intrinsic like decision from themselves rather than a than a weighty need that society's telling them that they need to look a certain way. I want everything to be about the way that you feel um emotionally and physically. So no, I'm not anti weight loss and I'm never anti person. I'm always person centered, but I am anti the big industries who who sell a story that that their method will work because we know that 95 to 97% of diets fail. And it's not the dieter that's failing, it's the diet because it's unsustainable. And so my ethos around it is that everything needs to be about the way that you feel about yourself and having the drive for making conscious healthy decisions and positive decisions for your health have to be an intrinsic motivation. We shouldn't need willpower to make those decisions. We should just feel that that is the right decision for us and that we want to make those positive decisions for us on a daily basis. And if you feel that way about yourself and about your health, you don't need to diet.
1: Absolutely, and this kind of goes... Does that, that makes sense? Yeah, and this, I mean, yeah. that relates to a lot of things, doesn't it? It relates to your self-esteem, yeah. your confidence, you know, the way that you feel about yourself is way more important. Like, if you put something on and, or you're trying to squeeze into, you know, your old clothes from before and it doesn't make you feel good, then give them to someone else who is going to feel good in them. You know, give them to charity or give them to a friend or family. I always say this, don't squeeze... The- into them because you are going to go into self sabotage mode going to abuse yourself mentally as well and i guess it's the same concept really something else that just come to mind when you were talking about yo-yo dieting i was like god this sounds like actually if you've ever been in like a narcissistic or a sociopath kind of relationship it literally yeah. sounds exactly the same so you're having this same kind of up and down roller coaster journey emotional you know highs and lows but actually it's with yeah. food and that it's just crazy isn't it you think to yourself like that's yeah. mental how can we even go there with food like it is meant to yeah. just be there to, for us to nutritionally, you know, energize ourselves, isn't it? Like, am I saying the right thing there? <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I think, I think food is, you know, it is there to, to nutritionally energize us, it's there to sustain us. I think we can never get away from the fact that there is an emotional connection with food. Take a newborn baby, they cry, they're stressed, we give them food, their stress dissipates. And so from the very first time they ever given any milk, that connection in the brain is made between a stress relief and food. And so as we move through life, it depends on how we are, how we are raised, how our emotional and, you know, flexibility is developed and and emotional resilience into whether we then develop other coping mechanisms, or whether we just have, you know, food or even other, you know, I always say to my clients, soothe your emotions and acknowledge them or your body will literally do it for you. And, and that might be through food or alcohol or anything, but we have to be able to kind of come back to to our emotional state and how we feel.
1: Amazing,
0: and, and just on that, with emotional
1: eating I guess from a personal perspective I have always said this when I am really stressed anxious worried I don't eat but then I've got friends who go the Mm -hmm. other way who emotional eat as in like they will binge or they'll just eat the worst things possible Um, and there's no judgment on either side neither is is good for you is it as in like you know Mm -hmm. not eating or eating like tons of shit that's going to make you feel bad so just like with emotional eating I mean how do you deal with that when people you know have this connection is it self-abuse like when you are doing that
0: for me it's a coping mechanism it's the only way that your body and your brain know how to cope with something and so I suppose it is definitely an element of self-sabotage whether that's conscious or not. But in my kind of experience, it's definitely like, what is what is the food feeding? That is what I always ask clients. Like if you're stressed and anxious, are you eat some food to help you calm down. If you are bored, are you seeking food as entertainment and a bit of joy? If you're feeling a lack of connection and a feeling loneliness, are you actually seeking that through just having A bit of cake or whatever, because it makes you feel a happier feeling and kind of helps you to to disassociate from the the negative emotions that you are feeling. And in a culture where we haven't necessarily been taught to acknowledge and feel, and that it's safe and okay to feel our emotions, even from childhood, the British culture love to say, "Oh, you know, shush, stop that crying," because it's uncomfortable. And so we aren't taught to to say, oh, I'm feeling like this today, right? Okay, why do I feel like that, right? What do I, what can I do to make that, to shift the way that I feel? Or, or do I just need to sit in it? Do I just need to sit with the emotion for a little bit? And then, allow, you know, once it's, like, you know, left and, and is, is lessened, what can I do to kind of feed that feeling, that loneliness, that boredom, that need for connection, the stress, the overwhelm? How can I feed it in a more positive way with a non-food related behavior. And it is about within the work that I do about bringing in again, that consciousness of understanding when you feel that need and that urge to eat consciously bringing in some awareness and saying, right, am I hungry or am I emotionally hungry for something that is not actually food and that food is not actually going to give me? Because in reality, it's probably going to make me feel worse in the long run. And that's not to take away from, there are moments in our life when we comfort eat. There are, we can't get away from that. You know, Friday nights, we all like to have something a little bit nice and a little bit special for the end of the week to make us feel like, ah, and take a breath out. Or when we're sick, there are moments when we will have some level of comfort eating, but when it it becomes a problem, when it is your absolute go-to and when you will do it, in a way that disregards how you then feel for the rest of the day you might feel sick uncomfortable lethargic guilty you know really just rubbish about yourself and that's when it becomes a problem because I don't want any person to feel like that as a result of an emotional eating period because I've done it myself and it's not a pleasant place to be and there is other ways around it and we can deal with those emotions in such positive productive ways
1: Yeah and I guess it's it's recognizing that isn't it I think you explained it so well and actually just asking yourself that question it's the same with any type of behavior I mean I've I've got a lot of childhood wounding done a lot of inner child work and because of that I am able to when I go from like zero to a hundred and I'm reactive and I'm behaving in a certain way, I recognize it so quick now. Whereas before, you know, when I was in like very mentally abusive relationships, I couldn't recognize that behavior because I hadn't done the work. So it's the same Principles, isn't it, that you bring Mm. into anyone who's dealing with kind of binge eating, yo yo dieting, emotional eating? It's actually about recognizing the behaviors and, yeah, making a positive change because. Sometimes we can't actually control our first reaction because it is so ingrained in us. It has been for years and years and years, that's the way that we've responded. And if again, just going back to generations, if we've witnessed it as well, then how do we know how to change it if we don't recognize it? So actually having that the best Mm -hmm. self-awareness allows you to respond quicker, it allows you to change direction, it allows you to go, okay, how can I actually switch this? Or if you've reacted to it and just going back to kind of emotional eating, say if you have done it and then Mm -hmm. you say to yourself, okay, why have I done that? What is it? What's triggered me? And actually really diving deep to yourself and similarly, you know, when I do that, Emotionally, I can spot things now, and I go, That's actually coming from my mum's, you know, disappearance or n- neglect. And I'm like, Okay, I need to change that because it's going to go down a really dark path if I carry on, and I'm going to go into self sabotage mode. We literally keep t- talking about that, don't we? But yeah, yeah. it just is the same, isn't it? And it's really interesting what you're saying because. Yeah, it's just got so much weight to it, hasn't it?
0: It really has.
1: What is the top tips, that, like tangible tips that women can take away from this episode that would really help them on their way
0: to a better journey? Okay, so I've had a little think about this and I think there's three things that are, you know, there are so many things that we can do, but for me, there's three really kind of top things. The first is what kind of what I just mentioned about the intention what's the intention behind eating when you're getting an urge to eat and again this is a skill like what you've just spoken about there I completely resonate with that you know it is a skill a a, a skill of conscious awareness we have to build it and so it's not gonna be easy to start with but it it, it does get easier as time goes on so it's about consciously kind of coming in and going Okay, what's that urge to eat? Am I hungry? Do I feel hungry? Okay, if it is a hunger signal, then, you know, 100% absolutely nourish your body. If it's actually, mm, no, it's it's definitely something emotional. I'm feeling, what are you feeling? I'm feeling stressed. Okay, and so food is going to make me feel a bit calmer. Right, so how can I feed that with a non-food related behavior? So that is kind of my number one tip is question the intention. Um, and just kind of remember that as a phrase, question the intention, that will really, really help. The second is to eat regularly. You know, if we are being, and you know, I hate to use these kinds of language, if we're trying to be good through the day, and we're not actually nourishing our bodies properly and sustaining ourselves, we're going to get to the evenings and feel ravenous. And so it's really important and we we, you know, we might end up then binging because of a physical need. So it's really important to eat, you know, good, sustaining meals and snacks throughout the day that really feel nourishing to you and that you really find enjoyable and satisfactory because if you're eating boring foods, you're going to be looking for something interesting afterwards. And so making sure that you are, you know, caring for yourself in that way by making really interesting, satisfying foods. It's gonna nourish you and fill you up um, and making sure you are eating regularly so that you aren't getting to the end of the day and feeling stressed and panicked and really overly hungry and then end up, you know, diving into the cupboards in the fridge because you're desperate for some food. And then my third tip is about self-care. And I know that's become such a buzzword recently, but it's about prioritizing yourself and your own emotional and physical needs. And this was really hard for me to start doing um, because I found found it really difficult because I didn't really have that much self-worth when I started. So I didn't really feel like I was worthy of spending time looking after myself and, um, you know, acknowledging my emotions. It felt very strange. um, But if you are not acknowledging your emotions, if you're not looking after yourself and you're putting yourself to the bottom of the pile you know, as mums, like, it's just so easy to, to become that the bottom rung of the ladder. But actually, if we're not putting ourselves first, essentially, then we can't function properly, we end up short and having rage and feeling overwhelmed by the smallest task. You know, if I look at the dishwasher and start to feel that overwhelming sensation coming, I'm like, right, Lizzie, you've gone past it. Because Unloading the dishwasher is a really, like, simple task. And if I'm feeling that overwhelmed, I'm like, right, I really need to do some self-care. <laughs> and so, yeah, acknowledging your emotions <laughs> is really important because if you're not, you will soothe them in another way. And not to feel guilty about that. I understand there might there may be mums, there may be women who aren't mums listening, but if you are a mom and you feel guilty for taking that time away from your child to care for yourself... Flip it around and see yourself as being a role model. My eldest now will say to me, Mummy, I think you're getting a little bit stressed and you should go and make yourself a cup of tea and have some peace away from the children. Go upstairs, Mummy, and have some time to yourself. She's four. She's four. Like, And she knows, <laughs> she can that. sense it and she understands that how important it is. And I see that as a real positive that now she has permission when, as she grows up and knows that it's absolutely okay to take time for yourself and that, that your own needs are really important. Um, so they're my top three tips. Question the intention, eat regularly and make sure you're caring for yourself amazing amazing
1: tips and I love what you spoke about about the mum guilt because this is where we are changing the narrative and again I know we're speaking repeating this but it it goes back to generations and it's a the role of the mother has evolved so much so and we're now in you know 2021 where we can be business women, we can be entrepreneurs, we can be career women, we can be a good partner, a good mum and you know, being a mum is part of you, it's not all of you and you are still you outside being mum too and, you know, we can be good friends. You know, we are juggling all these different plates. We are spinning yeah. a lot and I completely resonate with, you know, just looking at the washing up or if things irritating you, you're like, <laughs> okay, I actually need some time out. But it's actually yeah. saying yes to yourself and actually saying, yes, it's okay to do that. And so many mums, and I know this from polls that I do on my Instagram stories, really struggle with mum guilt and I always ask where does that come from and it's really interesting because a lot of the time it actually comes from fear of judgment that if they're going to do something or Uh, that they will be judged either by you know a relative usually or their partner because they're not doing what Mm -hmm. a you know in adversity commas what a mum should be doing but what does that even mean because like we said the role of the mother has evolved so much and you know we're no longer in the kitchen just making the dinners and if that's your role and that's what you want to do then absolutely great for you you're doing what you truly want to do but you know you and I are both of the same we've set up coaching businesses you know we're is in our own mm-hmm. right and we're spinning spinning a lot of plates but we are following our passions going after our goals yeah. and in order to to do that I also see it as I'm setting myself up for the future and I want Leo to look at me and think yeah she went after what she wanted to she's actually working she's earning money but she's doing something she's passionate about and I want him to be proud of that and I want him to know that he can go and do that too so kind of naturally moving on to business I'd love to chat about like you know how you set up your coaching business and how long have you done this for and what made you go after your goals what were you doing before
0: um, so I was working as a teaching assistant and a professional dancer, <laughs> two really like side along careers, Love yeah. <laughs> but I was actually teaching dance to the little children in school and teaching children's yoga and all of that kind of stuff, oh, which I, love I loved and yeah. it was so fun and I loved being a teaching assistant so much and it's an incredible, incredible role, incredible job and yeah, it was a really great time. Um, but it was also very difficult and I just always felt that there was something you know, there was something missing that that I wasn't actually doing what it was that I deeply wanted to do saying that I didn't really know deeply what I wanted to do Graham would up Graham's always been Graham's Mr. Self-Development you know my husband Mr. Self-Development is literally since day one he's like always been reading all the books and listening to the podcast. Like, he's just so into it. And at first, I was like, oh, no, I've done my self-developing. I've recovered from eating disorders. And, and then through time with him, through 10 years with him, actually, you know, very quickly came around to that mentality. So, yeah, he really helped me to kind of see what my goals were because I, he'd ask me and I'd just be like, oh, I don't know what I want to do. And then eventually, through lots of kind of coaching from him, I was like, do you know what? I really want to help women overcome what I've overcome. And at first I thought I was gonna go down more of a nutrition-based route, but then literally I'd get on the phone with women, and it was just so every time it was it would just come down to the the why, the how and the when they were eating, and the what just didn't even factor in. And I was like, Right, this is really essential work. And so yeah, I set up my coaching business. Four years ago, just after I had Imogen, and was just kind of dibbling and dabbling in the coaching, you know, just a few clients here, a few clients there, was still doing my job, and then I left my job to like go gung ho at it and got pregnant with Robin. <laughs> 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 so that put a bit of a curveball in there, and obviously I have really I had really difficult pregnancy again with hair. And then we went to lockdown and it was all just, I felt like there was a lot of obstacles. And even though I was still kind of doing it, I was still doing the coaching. After I'd had Robin, I was, you know, seeing, you know, a few clients here and there. It was only about maybe a year or so ago um, that I really uh, worked with a coach. And she really helped me to pick apart the fact that I was actually getting in my own way through fear of failure. Like I just did not want to fail. I'd been bullied at school and the thought of trying to do something, like really going for it and failing was just it was terrifying for me. And so I was just kind of like, Well, you know, if people would say, Oh, how's the business? I'd be like, Oh, you know, it's going as well as it can with the amount of time that I've got to put into it. You know, I was always kind of giving myself that that reason for, you know, why it wasn't soaring. And it was only when I'd worked with Gemma that She really helped me to see, and an EFT coach as well, working with the two of them really helped me to see that, that fear of failure and move through that. And as soon as I'd done that, it was like all gates were open and my business just went from like slowly creeping to literally skyrocketing and being completely fully booked within a couple of months. And it was just, that was mind blowing for me because... I can remember Gemma saying to me, so when you're fully booked in a few months time, and I honestly laughed at her and I was like, are you joking? There is no, there is literally no way I'm ever going to be like fully booked. And she was like, mindset, mindset. And, you know, I did the work and, you know, now my business is doing really, really well and I have to pinch myself all the time. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love your
1: story. It's amazing. But how do (laughs) you manage, you know, being a mum of two and having a business? Mm -hmm. How and having clients and also, you know, taking on their emotions because it's a lot of, you know, work, isn't it? And I'm guessing because most coaches are are empaths, you really care about your clients. Mm -hmm. So I guess we're talking here, like, okay, how do you manage it with two kids? How do you spin all of your plates? And Mm -hmm. how do you create boundaries?
0: Kind of three different questions there. Yeah, so I have to say, like, over this last year, it's been a real learning curve. There have been times when I've really, and I'll be completely open and honest, I always really wanted to be a mom, like, it was just in my blood and in my bones that and I was convinced that I was just really happy to be a stay-at-home mom because I'm really respectful of that as a life choice and was like, you know, that, that's what I'm gonna do. And then as soon as I really realized that this is what I wanted to do, I was like, no, I really need to do it. There have been points in the last year where I've actually resented the children being there because I'm just like, I just need to I just need to do this. I just need to go at this business and really like help as many people as possible. And it's taken me to really bringing in my awareness of what success looks like for me to go, actually, know, Lizzie, what you're doing this business to make a positive impact, but to also allow you to be there for your children. So it's definitely been about having a really strong self-care, again, the buzzword, self-care process and habits for me so that I'm making sure that I am looking after myself and keeping my central nervous system regulated so that I'm not getting overly stressed because as you say, as a coach, like I take on my clients' emotions so much. A lot of the time they're getting upset in calls and I very, you know, quite easily well up with them because it's it's difficult to to see people in those states. So it's definitely been about me with the girls, and I am in a fortunate position where I have got both sets of grandparents, a very supportive husband and you know, and childcare available. So that has always been there for me and I'm lucky to have that. But also about having, you know, really clear boundaries with, right, this is the end of work. Like, I'm not doing any more client work tonight. I'm focusing on being a mom and being with the children. So that has been very important for me as a business owner. And then with the kind of managing the clients and the the emotions and you know feeling that kind of strong emotional connection with them. It's definitely been about honouring that that feeling after calls and really giving myself the time to to acknowledge it and to feel it and to maybe even do some journaling or some tapping or go for a walk and just allow myself to kind of decompress from those emotions. It has been a challenge but I really do take all challenges as like a real you know, opportunity for, like, learning and development. So, yeah, that is kind of... Does that answer the question?
1: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah, I just... It's quite fascinating to listen to the way that people manage different things. And I think most mums will say that time, money, and mental energy is probably the top three things that they struggle with. Um, And it's usually the three things that stops them from going after their goals or living the life that they truly want. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, like what would you say to those women who, do, like you, had this deep burning desire to do something else and actually they they know I was I mean I was speaking to a woman exactly like you in my dms the other day and she was saying like I'm a stay-at-home mom but I just know that there's something more but I just don't know what that thing is but actually financially I worry that I just wouldn't be able to do it at all anyway so Mm -hmm. like how do you push past these and are they excuses because there are some coaches I hear that are like they're all excuses. Like, let's get rid of those, put them in the bin because you're just using them as barriers and blocks to what you really want. What's really going on inside? Like, what? Let's go deeper. Or are they genuine
0: reasons and how do we push past them? Hmm. I generally will always say that they are reasons. You know, I. Robin was the most atrocious sleeper. Like she led me into a really negative place, and I had really severe postnatal depression, like late onset. And there was just no way that I could have forced myself to do certain things during that period of time. Um, So I feel like in, in in certain situations there are real genuine reasons, but at the same time I think there are a lot of occasions and definitely was true for me, where I was telling myself a story that I didn't have the time or, you know, didn't have the energy or whatever it was that I was telling myself. And this is, you know, really personal to me, that actually I just wasn't prioritizing them. It just wasn't my priority at that time. And that is equally okay. Like it's about stepping into your power essentially and saying, do you know what? I really want to do this. But right now, I'm, not, I'm choosing not to prioritise it because I'm choosing to prioritise something else. Like, own that instead of feeling like it's something outside of your control. And sometimes there are going to be things that are outside of our control that do mean that we can't necessarily do the things that we want. But for me, I was not doing anything in the evenings because I was just, like, collapsing in front of the telly, which is fine, you know, if you need that relaxed time. But... Is it a choice or are you just in a habitual space where, where you know, and, and I know I was, I was just like going, oh God, I'm so exhausted. And actually I would have felt much better if I had gone and got a bath or done some reading and some meditation and gone to bed early. And so that was a choice for me to kind of, you know, question what, right, okay, so I haven't got enough time, but have I? Like, have I actually got more time? If you're choosing to not use the time, in the way that you, you know, that might take you towards your goals, that's equally fine, have honour and respect that judgment in you, but if you feel a discomfort with that, then maybe it's about saying to yourself, okay, I feel uncomfortable with the fact that I'm telling myself this, what, what is actually true, and what can I make a choice, you know, there's a famous Auschwitz survivor called Dr. Edith Eager. And she always says the prison is in your mind, but the key is in your pocket. Like you have the key to whatever is holding you back. And that might be difficult to find, but it can be found. And so I think it's about recognizing that, yes, sometimes it is a genuine reason and that it's just not the right time. And then in other times and other scenarios, maybe it's just about your priorities and about owning them. And, and being mindful of when maybe you could do things, but are choosing not to because, of, because it's not a priority for you right now.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's really helpful advice. Like priorities are so important, aren't they? And actually, if it is something that you're passionate about, then you will go for it because your passion will drive you. Yeah. If it's not, then I'd always question or challenge someone to ask, okay, mm-hmm. what's stopping you? because like you mentioned earlier on in the podcast about fear of failure I definitely had that before I went for my goals I had to really work with my own business coach to push past that and also you know what was the other one my I value financial security so much because it's my safety because of my childhood trauma so there's a lot of stuff there and in order to set up a business it Mm. is a risk financially yes it can be like okay what's going to make you feel safe Mm. in order to to do that so there are other kind of areas Mm. that you can look at as well isn't there to really kind of see why you're not prioritising if it is something you've always wanted to do.
0: Definitely.
1: Um, you mentioned something as well, which I want to just quickly touch on because actually it's something I've never yeah. heard before, which is the postnatal depression but having this later on and you shared this with me over dms didn't Mm -hmm. you I just want you to share that with everyone because we hear of postnatal depression like directly after birth like I had it and I had it for months and then I'm you know got over it and in in all different ways um and actually Mm -hmm. just for anyone listening there's going to be a solo episode on that specifically because it's been requested Mm -hmm. on how to get over that but I just want to know from your perspective okay when you say it happened later on when was that and mm-hmm. how did you get over it?
0: Yeah so with me I had because my anxiety in pregnancy had been utterly horrific and um, which is a whole other story it was unbearable it was very chemical anxiety that uh, hit me in both pregnancies around 28 weeks towards the end of Robin's pregnancy, my second pregnancy, I did actually go on some medication because I literally couldn't drink water because my my body was in such high fight flight um, response. So I did actually go on medication and then came off that around four months um, after I'd had Robin and felt great. Like I honestly felt so happy and so in love with Robin and um, really connect, deeply connected with her, and was really enjoying motherhood. With my first, it felt a bit like all over the place, but with Robin, in that period of time after her birth, I just felt so happy and content, and then around six, seven months old, Robin, we, do, we still don't know what has caused, whatever caused this, but she would wake up at 10 p.m. every evening and would scream solidly until 1, 2am, like a newborn baby, like the constant drilling, the screaming, um, to the point where our next door neighbours were coming around and were like, what's wrong with your baby? You need to take that baby to the doctors, like it was really, really hard, and I just became lower and lower and lower, and um, she then started doing it into the evening, so we didn't have any evening time whatsoever, and it was just this forever crying, we took her to the doctors, We took we It was just, we took her to the cranial osteos. Nobody could figure out why she was crying. And that's really unempowering as a mother. You know, with Imogen, I had, you know, chosen to breastfeed her. And I would literally, if she was crying, I'd just put her on my boob and she'd just stop crying. And, you know, it was, I didn't know what to do with Robin because we would pass her between us and she would just never stop there was nothing that would stop her from crying and it was it really got me into a very 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 dark place very quickly and I felt really disconnected from her I would openly say to people "Oh, I wish we'd never had her like it saying that now just feels completely unimaginable because like I adore the bones of an owl because she's just amazing but at the time I was just I honestly I would say it to anybody I wish I'd never had her like She's ruining my life. And I really had a massive disconnect from her. Like I would physically do the things that I needed to do to keep her alive, like feed her and change her nappy and put clothes on her. But I didn't feel anything at all, apart from, you know, I suppose, anger and um, regret and resentment, which was really, really, really tough. And then to get it, to get out of it, I suppose the first thing that I did was to acknowledge it and you say it to people I said it to I said it to Graham and I said it to my my parents and my friends and I was like listen this I am feeling this and I'm struggling whether to share this story but I went I did go to a, a GP and she said oh you're you're not depressed you just need some sleep and I just and I instantly as soon as I was out of the surgery maybe and me, being me phoned them and said, listen, this is what has just happened. You're really lucky that it's happened to me because I have got a conscious awareness of the fact that I have got depression and I am feeling this way. And that this was dealt with incorrectly. And they offered me a different practitioner, which was, you know, I was really grateful of. And I just said, you know, no judgment on her, but maybe she just needs a little bit of extra support in helping new mums. But my first port of call was seeking support and, and and rallying a support network around me. And then it was about um, implementing daily. I was having like daily baths and taking myself off and having time by myself to just feel like a bit like me again, you know, moving. I was going for walks by myself and just really getting into kind of journaling and, you know, helping myself to slowly step out of, that feeling and again as Robin got a little bit older it did get easier as well
1: amazing and I mean how long did it take for you to come out of postnatal depression
0: from then I would say four four to five months okay of kind of you know yeah good work there have been ups and downs whenever she has some real crying fits in the night I definitely feel a little bit triggered by it. Yeah. But it's just, I just kind of reach out to Graham and say, you know, I'm feeling really triggered by her crying. You know, can you, help me or whatever and just really seeking the support that I need when that happens. Brilliant and actually just speaking of
1: I know you're big on habits and rituals and how important it is to you like in your daily routine, could you just share some of those on a really positive note on like what people can do especially mums because I have found I mean you didn't realise how much freedom you had before you had kids to go and meditate, to go and exercise to go and do all of the things that you want to do and I find these practices of course they're generalized they are for the mass but I like to take them digest them and actually work them with my clients into a mum routine that works for them so what would yours be and yeah just share them with us yeah
0: so it took me a really long time to get into this routine because Again, I was not wanting to get out of bed before the kids because I was like, I need a bit more sleep. You know, Robin really is such a rubbish sleeper, even now, bless her. And I was like, you know, I need that extra half hour in bed or whatever. And, you know, that's fair enough. Sometimes I I will take that. But generally, I will get up before the girls um, and I will come into my office and I will do a 20 minute breath work practice. Followed by just some really basic yoga, sun salutations and stretches just to really get me into my body, get my body moving um, and to feel really present in my day. And then I'll just make sure that before the the night before, before I go to bed, that my journal and a pen is laid out on the table so that there's no obstacles in the way I'm not making any noise, you know, for the girls. And I'll do some journaling based on, you know, my intentions for the day or on a journaling prompt that I've got written in my um, journal and we'll do that. So that's kind of my, my like little morning routine. Oh, and then I follow up with a cold shower, which people think I'm a little bit nuts about, but it makes me feel so like energized for the day. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's my little morning routine, which it just helps me so much to feel not overwhelmed and to have more patience with the girls and to just feel more present in, in the day. It, that It just really sets me up and I definitely notice it when I haven't done it. And now I think when you are starting a new habit, you've got to be on the other side of it to know what the benefits of it are. And so that's why it can be so hard to start because you don't know how good it's going to make you feel. But once you've done it for a few days, you're like, Lizzie, get out of bed because if you don't do it, you're not going to feel the benefits. And so that then gets me you know, out of bed to do it in the morning. And then I will generally do some movement at some point in the day. It's usually after the school run, I'll come back. I'll go to the school run in my gym clothes, come back, Do a really quick workout, like I'm talking 10, 15 minutes, shower, makeup, quick breakfast and then work um, by 10 o'clock. So that's my morning and then evening I will generally have like a menu um, to pick from and this is what I encourage clients to do as well is to have like a menu of evening activities. You know, could it be, what do you enjoy, like hobbies, colouring, going for a walk, having a bath, whatever it is that you love to do. Have a little menu of those things and then each evening instead of kind of having that collapse moment in front of the tv either intentionally choose to watch something specific so that it feels positive and intentional and watch it or pick something from your menu to make your evenings more interesting and my clients love this because they're like oh evenings feel so exciting now because in the day i'm like yeah i get to do this that or the other And then I'll generally have a bath, an Epsom salt bath, a couple of nights a week um, before bed. And before bed, I will do just a little bit of journaling and a couple of stretches or some EFT tapping. And then I'll go to bed. And they are my kind of habits and rituals on a daily basis.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing them. I mean, it's my pleasure. Can you tell everyone where they can find you?
0: Yeah, so they can find me at love spelled L-U-V dot health on instagram that is where i am most active and where i will answer my dms very quickly people always say lizzie you answer your dms too quickly because i've always got my phone right by me (laughs) but you know you can find me on there and i share tips about you know quitting diet culture emotional eating getting movement into your day and body image and also just like the real life mom stuff as well because i just think it's really important that we share that side and I know you do as well so that we don't feel on our own absolutely
1: I love what you do which is why I reached out in the first place thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the podcast and sharing so much insight and actually tangible tools and tips that people can take away and implement into their day-to-day so thank
0: you for that thank you for having me Charlotte it's been so so nice this is the unfiltered life podcast with Charlotte Jonesy Thank you so much for listening to this episode.
1: If you loved it, please subscribe, download, and leave me a review. If you learned something new or just really enjoyed this episode, then why don't you share it with others by screenshotting it and sharing it on your stories. And don't forget to tag me so that I can see it. If you're interested in life or business coaching with me or any of my programs, then please head to www.CharlotteJonesy.com for more information. Hope to speak with you soon. If not, I will see you in next week's episode. Lots of love.
0: Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to the great pop culture debate back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single,